Uh, you may be seated, and I encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in the book of Exodus today. Exodus 13, second book of the Bible in the Old Testament, and we come to Exodus 13, verse 17. Many of us are going through seasons of transition. You're, you're thinking about what's next. You're uncertain about your future. It, it may be something that you're going through with your children and their medical issues. Uh, it could be something that is in your marriage where you don't know how God is going to resolve this conflict you're in. It could be uh, something about your job where you're not sure how God is going to provide for you. could be a health concern. could be a number of things where we feel that God needs to guide us, needs to lead us, he needs to take us somewhere new uh, into this new season, new season of provision and healing. And so we're looking to him. And the question we're all asking in those seasons is how how does he guide me how does he lead me how do i know that he's with me how do i know that he speaks to me how can i interpret the signs or his words to know that what i need to do and more more than that just the knowledge but also be assured that he's with me that he is in fact leading me for our church as well a season of transition and so we're looking to god and asking what's next how is god going to provide how is he going to lead us And so a very appropriate passage for us to look at is Exodus 13, verse 17 through 22. This is a great image of God's guidance as God leads his people out of Egypt into the land of promise, guides them every step of the way, and we're looking at this image of pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, day and night, God leads his people. So let's read our passage, and then we'll see how all of this applies to us. Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from from before the people. This is our text. I'd like to consider three things. Do three things. I want to consider first that God leads us, the fact of God's involvement in our lives. Secondly, I'd like to consider how God leads us. What's the manner of his leading us. And lastly, let's look at why God leads us. What's the reason he is so committed to us? That God leads us, how God leads us, and lastly, why God leads us. Now, it is so easy for us to overlook this fact because it is so obvious. It's obvious in the text, it's obvious to many Christians, but I'd like to dwell on it a little bit. God leads his people. This is what God does. 
He guides His people. He provides for His people. He protects His people. He leads His people. The Lord who freed His people from Pharaoh's slavery in Egypt is the same God who also guided them through the wilderness until they got to the land of promise. Now listen to one commentator, Henry Law, talk about this fact. The children of Israel are about to tread an unknown path. A desert is before them, wide and desolate and trackless. They have no chart to show the way. There are no friendly lips to counsel or to warn. They must proceed, and yet they fear to stir. Were they allowed to wander without beckoning support? Oh no! Whose hand then waved them forward? Did the Lord send some natives of the wilderness to teach where the paths were safe? No. Did he inspire the ruler's mind with instinct of the untrodden land? No. He comes himself. He stoops to take the office of their guide. But by what method is his direct and aid made clear? A visible form, which every eye might see, reveals the wondrous guide. A pillar descends and rests upon the camp. When the day shines, it is a cloudy column. When darkness comes, its mass is fire. Its presence never is withdrawn. It moves a signal for advance. It rests to bid them pause. Such is the protection and guidance of the desert march. The Lord himself becomes their constant guide in the desert. The Lord is a God who leads his people. One of the best-known passages in all of Scripture, and many of you have it memorized in whatever version you use, is Psalm 23. Now listen to to how it reads. This is exactly what we're talking about. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is our shepherd. In the Old Testament, that image is clear. In the New Testament, the same image comes up in John 10. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Our God chooses to present himself in Scripture, throughout Scripture, as a shepherd. Now, we're city dwellers, right? Nobody, I don't think anybody here grew up on a sheep farm. And we don't know what it's like. But for a shepherd to do his job well, you live with the sheep. You're always with the sheep. You get to know the sheep better than you get to know people. You're gone for weeks at a time, tending to the sheep. Shepherds live with the sheep. They feed them. They, they take care of them. Somebody gets, a sheep gets hurt. They, they, they help them. They protect them. They fight off the wild beasts that are trying to take the sheep. They're constantly involved with the sheep. That's what shepherds in biblical times did. I'm sure that's what many shepherds do today. 
there's a special connection of the shepherd with his sheep. And it's a very close connection. It's a constant, ongoing relationship where the shepherd is always there for the sheep, protecting, providing, guiding them, helping them. This is the kind of God that we have, always with us, constantly in contact with us, always helping us, always protecting us, always providing for us, always with us, in a relationship with us. And yet, friends, so many of us live as if God is this aloof, distant deity. Right? Not a shepherd that's here with me, guiding me and helping me. But somebody who created all this, now I believe that, I believe that God is powerful like that. But I live my life as if He's not here with me. As if He's separate, far away. Now there are people who believe that. We don't believe that, but I'm afraid we'll live like that many a day. There are people who believe God is a watchmaker, or is like a watchmaker, who created this intricate universe and then He stepped aside. And so he creates this beautiful thing, he winds it up, and then he steps aside. There are people who would say this is what God is like. But Scripture tells us he's not like that. He has created a universe, and it is intricate, but he doesn't wind it up and steps a step aside. He keeps it going moment by moment. All things are held together by Christ. It's an ongoing involvement of the Creator with His creation. If that's true, if He is that kind of a Creator, if He is a shepherd to His sheep, to His people, how do we live in light of that? Not just what we affirm in our doctrine, but how do we live with this truth? If God is directly and personally involved with us, just like with the Israelites. During the day, a pillar of cloud, a visible presence guiding. When the pillar moves, they move. When the pillar stops, they pause and they rest until the pillar moves. And at night, so they can travel at night, there's a pillar of fire. Guides them, gives light for them to go where they need to go. And so they're watching this is moment by moment, day by day, night by night. They're watching. The pillar of fire moves, they move, even if it's nighttime. If it stops, they stop. They only go when God goes. They stop when God stops. Night and day, the Lord is with His people, leading them in the path that He has chosen for them to the place where He will bless them. Isaiah 41, another very encouraging passage. Isaiah 41.13 For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. How is God portraying himself to us? What kind of relationship does he want to have with us? It's a relationship where he holds your hand, like a parent holding a child's hand. Right? He's saying, I'm the one that helps you. I am with you. I am holding your hand. You go when I go. You stop when I stop. You look to me for help. I am here with you just like a shepherd is here for his sheep. A, a famous polar explorer, Ernest Shackleton, 
Zoya. This one is for Zoya. When, when he and he had several adventurous expeditions to the South Pole, and on, on one particular one, he, he describes as they were going, this is a 36-hour march, and he says, over the unnamed mountains of Antarctica. Nobody has passed there before. And as he and his, his companions are walking, he's saying, I had this feeling. It just seemed like there were more people with us than we could count. It just felt like there was an extra person always walking with us. Even when we counted, it, was, it wouldn't match the, the feeling that I had. Now, people talk about it. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that's described. Polar explore, explorers talk about, mountain climbers talk about the third man syndrome, they call it. When you feel like there's an extra person walking with you, this is the Christian life. God is walking with us. You look around and you say, Okay, there's only two of us, but it feels like there's three of us. Uh, T.S. Eliot, in, in his uh, poem, The Wasteland, who was inspired by Shackleton, he, he writes this, Who is the third that walks always beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look ahead up the white road, there's always another one walking beside you. God stays close to his people in the wilderness. Day and night, he leads them. Notice just how specific and clear his guidance is. During the night, pillar of fire. During the day, the pillar of cloud. Visible, clear. God is leading his people where he wants them to go. So our application to this, to this scriptural truth of God's relationship with his people our application is to follow God closely. To follow God closely. We have to ask ourselves, do we know God as our shepherd? Do we know God as our guide? Cloud by night, fire, cloud by day, fire by night. It's one thing to know God as, as a universal creator, as a, as a universal rule maker. It's one thing to know him like that, but it's another thing to know him as your shepherd, as your guide, the one who calls you by name, the one who takes you by the hand, the one who guides you where he wants you to go. At the center of our understanding of the Christian life is this idea of the day-by-day, moment-by-moment experience of the God who leads us. The question is, is it your experience? Is it my experience? Is this how we live? Moment-by-moment, day-by-day, following God closely. As you read the Gospels, what is Christ's most basic and central commandment? It's very simple. It says, follow me. Follow me. Friends, it does not get any simpler than that. Parents do that to the children. We, we say, follow me. We don't explain. You just, just go with me. Trust me. Follow me closely. It's going to be okay. That's what Jesus says. You want a relationship with God? Follow me. Follow me closely. Go after me. Go in my steps. When I go, you go. When I stop, you stop. Listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. In Acts 9, Christians are called the people of the way. People of the way. The way of Jesus. Following in the way of Jesus. Living in the way of Jesus. That is the essence of the Christian life. We live like Jesus lives. We follow him. When we talk about uh, the Christian life, we often uh, describe it as walking with Jesus. 
Right? Sometimes we would say to another Christian, are you walking with Christ? We're not questioning their salvation necessarily, but we're saying, now, are you experiencing life with Christ? Are you following Him closely? Are you listening to Him? We also mean, are you praying regularly? Are you reading the Bible consistently? Is His Word a lamp unto your feet? Very specific, very personally. Is the Holy Spirit leading you into all the truth? Are you walking with Jesus? Today, are you walking with Jesus? That's the question of the Christian life. Are we following Him closely? And for some of you, as I hopefully challenge you with this application point, some of you are saying, yes, I am following Him. I am, day by day, moment by moment, I'm doing that. So let me say, let me encourage you, keep doing that. Don't get distracted. Keep pursuing Him. Keep following Him closer, closely. But for some of us, when we hear that, we say, I'm not following Him. I believe in Jesus. I've committed to a certain moral system, moral values. I don't hurt other people. I don't steal. I don't sleep around. But are you following Jesus closely? Do you have a relationship with Him where He talks to you and you listen and you talk to Him, where He tells you to do something and you do it because you trust Him, because you love Him? Now, how does that happen on a daily basis? God gives us means. He gives us channels through which He speaks and guides us. We see the pillar of light, right, and and the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. But in our life, what is it? Scripture, prayer, community of believers, Lord's table, service of others. Those are the ways that that He uses to guide us and to help us. So the question is, are we intentionally using those means of grace that He's given us? Are we intentionally and purposefully pursuing Him through the means that He's given us? Which means schedules, right? It, It means reorganizing your life. It means setting time aside. It means setting energy aside. It means opening your Bible, right? And saying, I'm going to read a chapter of Scripture today. And then tomorrow I'm going to read the next chapter that comes after this one. And the day after I'm going to read the next one. And then you form a habit. It takes a few weeks to form a habit, but they do form. And then it becomes part of your life where you're daily listening to God. He speaks to you through Scripture. You open yourself up and in prayer you say, Holy Spirit, I want to listen to you. I want to understand what you're telling me. I am removing my distractions from my mind. I'm confessing my sins. I'm seeking a relationship with you. I am in a quiet place. Um, My mind is fresh. I want to listen to you. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And as time goes on, you learn to distinguish His voice from other voices in your head. You learn to to recognize His words. When He speaks to you, you say, it sounds like the Holy Spirit. sounds like Him. That's that's how He speaks to me. You learn to distinguish that, and you learn to to grow in that relationship, and more and more you realize that, that God guides you moment by moment day by day, that He's reliable, that you can follow Him closely. And so, 
If you are not living that way, you may agree that this is where we're supposed to believe that God is a shepherd, but the question is, are you living that way? And so I encourage you to resolve to follow your shepherd. Would you start reading your Bibles every day? Would you start praying every day? I'm not going to get any more specific than that. You know your life. You know how you need to organize it. But those are simple commitments to make. Read a little bit of Scripture every day. Pray. Start with simple prayers. Start with the Lord's Prayer. Start with asking for daily needs. Start by thanking Him for daily provision. Why not take it seriously? If God says, this is who I am, God says, I am a shepherd. I want to guide you. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. Why not respond to that? And saying, okay, what does that mean? How do I live now? Commit to that. Let me say one more thing and I'll move on to the next point. Many of our problems, many of our questions, many of our issues, many of our mistakes, many of our unwise choices come from that vacuum uh, in our relationship with God. We do stupid things because we don't listen to Him. Every kid knows that at some point, right? Every parent knows that for their child, not necessarily for themselves. We do things that aren't good for us because we don't listen to God, because we don't read our Bibles, because we don't pray. We're not open to the Holy Spirit. Why not take this seriously and conform your life to how God wants us to live? He wants to guide us. Let's, let's follow him closely. Now, second point, he leads us. That's the fact of it. Now, how does he lead us? What is the manner of his leading. Now look at verse 17. This is surprising. For most of us at least it is surprising. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Now, any study Bible is going to have a good map where you can see that the direct route from Egypt to Israel, to Palestine, to the area that God had promised them, goes along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. You just go right along the coast. That's the Philistines. That's where the Philistines live. And yet God takes them all the way around. They cross the Red Sea. They go around. They come actually from the other side of the Jordan. They cross from the eastern side of the German Jordan into the west. This is a, a long way around. So God leads them, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, day and night, leads them all the way around. This is not the best route. This is not the direct route. This is not the route that all of us would have taken because we want to get where we're trying to, trying to go. And yet God leads them all the way around. Why? There's a reason. We don't always know the reason why God leads us all the way around, but in this case, we do. God says because he knew that the people who were slaves for hundreds of years, they were not ready for war. And so God knows that if the Egyptians are, are, are pursuing them and the Philistines are ahead of them, they get into that fight and they're going to lose and they're going to get scared and they're going to return to Egypt. 
God knows exactly what his people can handle. And so God decides to lead them all the way around to give them time to prepare, time to learn to live as free people. They were free. In fact, they were free. But in their hearts, they were slaves. I mean, that's an experience of every Christian. You get saved, you get converted, and in fact, you are now free from sin. In reality, your heart is still very much tied to sin, and you still act like a sinner. It takes time. It takes growth. It takes change to start acting differently. So God gives them that time. In the midst of all this, he annihilates the Egyptians, right? Performing this great miracle of the Red Sea. People see God as powerful. At the most desperate situation, their backs to the sea, right? They see the army come in at them. God opens the sea. They cross. The Egyptians die. Great victory, great miracle. They don't do anything. God wins that battle for them. And then he prepares them for all the battles that are yet to come. Finally, generations change. And a new generation that didn't grow up in slavery. They grew up in the wilderness, being guided by God day by day, night by night. Now they are ready to fight. They're ready for war. They're not scared anymore. And so they take over the promised land. Now, the, the point here is that God's decision to give them a much longer route and have them wander in the desert for 40 years is because of God's mercy. Because God knows them. Because God knows what they can handle. So God takes them all the way around to give them time to grow, to give them time to learn what it is to trust Him, to follow Him closely, to respond to His commands. He gives them the law. He teaches them how to live as a free person. And so God prepares them for triumph by taking them the long way around. That sounds familiar to you? Does it happen to you? When you say, God, you promised to give me this, but you're taking me all the way around. This is a direct route. I know how to get there. And God says, that's not how I'm leading you. And the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire get up and, and t take a completely different direction. You say, what's going on? And at that time, we need to remember that God knows you better than you know yourself. That God is going to lead you in the way that will set you up for success in the best way possible, because He knows. He's going to lead you in a certain way so He can give you what He has promised to you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful, faithful to his people. He will make sure that, that we will get where he wants us to be. He will not lead us in a way that will present difficulties that we will not be able to handle. I think this is tremendously encouraging. Even in the midst of a, of a detour, when you're thinking, this is not where I'm supposed to be, please remember that God is guiding you in the way that it is, is best for you because he knows you best. He says, you're not ready to get through to where I'm leading you by direct route, so I'm going to take you around. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to equip you for battle. So then when you have to fight, you're ready, and you will triumph over 
your enemies. Now, of course, we often would prefer a direct route because to us it seems fast, it seems easy, right? It's quick. But God knows that if we were to choose, we would not finish the journey. So he makes the decision. Well, we follow him closely. And the second point of application is, well, we trust him fully. As we are following him closely, do we trust him fully? So when he takes us on that roundabout way, we're saying, okay, this makes no sense to me, but I will trust him. I can trust him. God will not lead you where you will not be able to succeed. It may seem like a, like a roundabout, slow, long way to go, but in God's mercy and in God's wisdom, it is the best way for you to go. Trust Him fully. You may feel, and right now some of you feel this very thing, that God is closing certain doors in your life. Doors that in your mind lead to quick, easy routes to get where you need to go. And yet, God knows what you can handle, and He will not let you go through a door leading to a certain failure. So He'll close that. Is it not mercy? Of course it's mercy. And at the time, you feel like He's taken something from you. He's saying, God, what are you doing? I want it. You promised it to me, and now you're closing this door. Why? Because he's merciful, because he knows what's, what's beyond the door. He's going to take you a different way. Now, do you trust him? As you consider the uncertainty of your future, as you wrestle with difficult decisions, as you consider your complex circumstances, as a congregation in this season, do we trust him to lead us into the next season of church life and ministry? Because wherever he is leading this congregation, it's a good thing. Will you trust him? Will you trust him fully? And finally, we get to the last point, why he leads us. So we've talked about the fact of his leading, talked about how he leads us, often through a roundabout way, and now finally, why does he lead us? God leads his people out of Egypt and towards Canaan, cloud by day, fire by night. He's very particular. He's close to them. But we have to be asking, what is the reason? Why is he so committed to these people? Why has God himself become their guide, becomes their shepherd? And the answer, surprisingly, is in the bones. The answer is in the bones of Joseph. Look at verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Now, it makes no sense to us, right? What's with the bones? Just bury the man. Why are you taking the bones somewhere else? But Joseph had commanded them. He said, I am not going to stay here. My bones are not going to stay in Egypt. God will fulfill his promise because he had made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, that he will give you land. This is where, Joseph says, I'd like to be buried. I'd like to be buried in the land of God's promise to his people. So Joseph, by commanding them to take his bones out of Egypt, is trusting God's covenant. He's trusting God's promise to Abraham 
and others before him. In Genesis 50, verse 24, Joseph says to his brothers, remember Joseph was the first one to go to Egypt some 400 years before the Exodus. And so he was first to come there through various circumstances and finally able to provide food for his family. And this is what he says to his brothers when they all, they all came to Egypt. He says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph is teaching them to trust in God. Joseph is saying, God will do what he said he was going to do. Trust him. And the way you express that trust is by taking my bones, taking them to the land that God will give you. Joseph believed, even in his death, he believed that God would take the people out of Egypt and bring them into Canaan, into the land that he had promised them. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith he did that. He didn't see it yet. But by faith he knew that God was going to fulfill his promise, that God will bring his people to the land that he has promised to them. God made a covenant, and Joseph trusted that covenant. Joseph believed that God would keep his word. And so he organized his future to that effect. He said, take my bones, take them back to the land that God is going to give you. So follow the Lord closely, trust him fully, and lastly, know him well. Know him well. Know him as a God of covenants, as a God of promises, as somebody who says he will do something, then he will inevitably do it. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from Israel until they came into the land of promise. God was guiding them. He was guiding them in a roundabout way, but he guided them to the place that he promised for them to have. Henry Law again, he says, Faith gazes on it and drinks in the comfort of an ever-leading, never-leaving God. Ever-leading, never-leaving God. This is our God. Ever-leading, never-leaving us. He keeps his promises. He fulfills his covenants. Joseph knew that. The people, people of Israel knew that, and they followed God, knowing that he will lead them because he had made a covenant with them. Now, God made a covenant with us, too. Scripture calls it the new covenant. It's not land that God promised to us, but life. Not of slavery in Egypt, but out of slavery of sin God has delivered us. And this new covenant is made in Jesus. It's through him that promises are given to us. He is the yes and the amen to all God's promises to us. Now here's a passage that ties it all together. It's remarkable how all the themes in Scripture come together in Jesus. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, and this is again a familiar passage, familiar verse to most of you. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says this. The passage we like to just take as, as a verse on its own terms, right? But Jesus says it 
as the people are celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles at the Temple in Jerusalem. You know what the Feast of the Tabernacles was all about? It was to help people remember what it was like in the wilderness. So they would build little shelters out of branches and trees. And they would actually live in them for a time, for a week, to remember how God led them, how God guided them through the wilderness. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, they remembered that. They taught their children to follow God closely, to trust Him fully, to know Him well as the God of the covenant. So when it gets tough now, they look back and they say, yeah, but God, look at how God led us. Look how good He was to us. Day and night He led us. Look where He brought us into this land. We're at the temple now, remembering God's constant guidance in the wilderness. As people are doing that, they're lighting torches at night in the temple courts. They're lighting the torches to remember the pillar of fire. And that's when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is he saying? He's saying, I am the one who led you in the wilderness. I am the one you need to follow. I am the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud during the day. I am the one through whom the covenant of God now breaks into the people of God. He appropriates all those promises to himself. This is why so many people were mad at him. Because he would make statements like that. As they're in their little shelters, right? As they're in their tabernacles. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the one you need to follow. This is how you know the covenant is true because I am here fulfilling the promises of the covenant now even in your presence. The Lord that led Israel in the wilderness took on flesh. In fact, John says, literally, he tabernacled with us. Interesting use of language, right? In John 1. John says, God tabernacled, he lived, he dwelt among us as a shepherd lives with his sheep, as a guide who goes with his people and guides them. Jesus says, this is me. I'm the light of the world. The God of the covenant came to us in Jesus. All the promises are fulfilled in him. His death promises life to us. His resurrection gives us new life now. We celebrated Easter last week, right? We, we don't need really a special week to celebrate. This is a reality we live in each week, each Sunday, each day. Because God is alive. Jesus is alive. He's with us. He's present. He guides us. He protects us. He provides for us. He's with us, ever-present, ever-leading, never-leaving God. In Jesus, God lives with his people. God suffers with and for his people. In Jesus, God gives us a new life. That's the reason why he continues to lead us, because of Jesus. And so the question for us is, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the gospel? For some of you, you just need a reminder of that on Sunday. You just need to remember that in Jesus, God is committed to you, so follow him closely. Trust him fully. Know him well. 
But for some of you, this is the first time you hear the gospel. And so would you respond in faith, in trust, knowing that in Jesus, God shows himself a guide, a shepherd for you, saying, I want to lead you. Would you follow? Would you respond by faith to the gospel? We come to the table, and if you're a believer, I encourage you to come to the table. This is for you. This is another means of grace to strengthen you, to nourish your faith, to encourage you to follow God closely, to remind you of what he's done for you. And as we come to the table, please see these things as visible reminders of his guidance. It's not a pillar of light. It's not a a pillar of cloud, but it's a broken bread. Right, His body broken for you, proven to you that he loves you, proven that he cares for you because he gave his life for you. It's a cup of the new covenant, the promise of life, the promise of a new life, the promise of freedom. And so we take the bread, we take the cup, and we remember Jesus. We root ourselves again in the covenant so we know him well, so we can follow him closely and trust him fully. Let's pray together.